Hi everyone, welcome back to Internet Report's Pulse Update, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss what's up, what's down, what's working and not working, and generally keep our finger on the pulse of how the internet is holding up. This week we're discussing outages at OneLogin, GitLab, Cloudflare and Workday. And I'm Barry Collins, and I'll be hosting today with the amazing Mike Hicks, Principal Solutions Analyst of Thousand Eyes. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, Barry. I'm not sure about the amazing bit, but I'm really pleased to be here. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Good to speak to you. Well, let's get straight on the show. As always, we've included the chapter links in the description below, so you can skip ahead to the section that you're most interested in. And if you haven't already, we'd love you to take a moment to like or subscribe on the buttons below. Let's get on with it. So one login's had some problems, Mike. Explain what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So on October 26th, um, OneLogin, which is a cloud-based identity access management provider, um, they experienced what we call a service disruption. Now, we call it service disruption because it manifested itself as sort of 500 errors uh, to the users. And what this means when we see a sort of 500, it actually means that we're getting a response from the server. So, but it is service is unavailable, so we're not getting a response back. So because it's an authentication system, people then couldn't actually log on to the services that sat behind there. And presumably when a service like one login goes down, it's not just one login that's affected, but all the companies it's providing authentication for. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's there. We've seen this sort of a, a couple of times uh, from there. And it, it's a necessary part of this process. You know, we want to have this sort of zero trust, this authentication process, the security comes online. But then you've obviously got this thing in front. Um, and you can use that then to go on to other places. So you sort of log on to there, you do your single sign on, um, authenticate to that one system, and then you can use the services that sit behind it. So it makes it simpler for the user to access. But then obviously the downside to that is, yeah, I potentially impacting access to all these other services behind, even though they may be up. So why would some locations be affected and not others? Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. So, so what we have then when we're thinking about it, so yeah, again, I'm down here in, uh, in, in, in Australia, bottom side of the world, connected by a wet, bit of wet string. So if my authentication server, where I'm actually coming to, is somewhere in the US or somewhere in England from there, obviously I've got to travel a long way to actually get there. So that timeout, uh, that latency is, is going to be in, uh, impacted. So the fact then what we effectively have is we have all these systems around the outside where we're actually going to, to sort of log into so you know almost like a CDN so a, a content uh, delivery network but it's basically what we do is move that authentication to the edge or close to where the users can go to speed of that process so what we're seeing then in some cases is where some impact uh, some systems get impacted and then some some don't so from a user I'm actually authenticating to a, a local system uh, and uh, uh, here in Perth and it's actually not sort of impacting uh, anywhere else downstream or anywhere else in the world and, and interesting enough then when you start to see sort of this you can then also sort of tie it back. So in this case, we saw sort of this 500 authentication, uh, sorry, this 500, this service unavailable. So that's telling me I can't get to the service in the back end when I actually get there. The other thing that can sometimes occur is that you can almost go to the workaround. So I talked about that authentication service being a single sign-on. So I actually go there and we go to multiple services in the back. Now, if I have the destination of my application, I can authenticate directly to that. So if I know where I'm going, I can sort of bypass it that way. So this is then also some users will be able to get on. Uh, but if everything is ultimately directed through there, uh, you're still secure. You still log on to, uh, authenticate to it, I just don't have this single sign-on perspective. Now, some systems allow that, some don't, so it really sort of depends on, on, on how, you, how you've set the environment up. And I understand you saw some packet loss as a sort of secondary symptom of the recovery from this outage. Why might that occur? 
Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so what we saw is the packet loss occurred after as the system's coming back up. Uh, so, so this is you know, this could be down to a number of things. So as we're sort of bringing the this, this, this system up, remember we had these 500 errors, so we're having service unavailable, which tells us that we talked about the network connectivity to the front end is actually okay. So when we're going through this process of actually maybe rebooting the service or bringing it back up or whatever process was actually taking place to roll back whatever happened there, then we might have this situation where in the meantime, it actually does disappear. So I've actually got rid of my, my services and available, but then when I start to go to connect into the back end, this is when I start to see this loss rate. So I see a loss rate occurring from there. Now, typically loss is what we call a leading indicator anyway. So if I'm looking at loss, it's gonna be the leading indicator that I have these network problems there. So again, now I know I've got connectivity, I'm going through, I have some sort of availability, but I'm seeing some degradation as the system comes back up. It could have also been caused, you know, with people sort of everybody hitting it at the same time. So then we start to come in and then everybody starts to go back at that, that, that moment in time, and therefore then I sort of get sort of uh, choke situations or overload situations, and then that back forwards there, and then I start to get this loss, loss rate seen there as well. So Mike, GitLab's also faced a recent outage. Uh, explain what happened there, please. Yeah, yeah, another really interesting one there. So, so and what we're looking at here is, again, is, is something sort of within the back end. So it was on October 30th, uh, GitLab, they're affected by availability issues. And we're sort of quite specific about availability issues. So this went on for like almost three hours. Um, and what it transpired was is actually due to uh, an increased load on um, the, the underlying database infrastructure. So, you know, what we have is, is the front end, the front door, as it were, for the application and sort of residing behind the microservices. Then you have uh, sort of the databases uh, there where where the repositories are put, where we got there. And what happened was the database itself became saturated by um, uh, what they said was a large increase in the bulk import jobs. So what GitLab were able then to do was sort of temporarily disable that bulk import functionality um, and then it sort of had to wait for the queue jobs to run. But what it had this impact of doing uh, when it was actually occurring there was, again, remembering we could actually get to it. So I had network connectivity was fine. I could reach the front door. But... Basically, there was no one home when I actually went behind, so I actually couldn't get to the service there. And the mitigation, as you said, seemed to involve removing access to this bulk upload feature. Is that yeah. something where you feel it just needed a bit more testing before it was rolled out, or could there be some malicious attack going on there? Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, we'd probably avoid the malicious attack because, again, we were talking about stuff in the back end there. So, you know, normally that's going to occur when we sort of hit the front end. So, you know, thinking of things like DDoS attacks where we sort of deny that service coming in into the, to the front. Um, as to where the more testing, I suspect they actually did it. But what often happens is you get these situations of, you know, what we, we refer to sometimes as podcasts as the perfect storm sort of things coming together. I mean, a, a few years ago, GitLab had an issue where they had another problem with the database uh, where, where something sort of just it physically disappeared, um, but there's there's uh, 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 the situation that can occur uh, um, when you're doing this. You can't necessarily test for every scenario. So what you do basically you test you test to the the assertion. Now what you need to be able to do is you need to, be able to identify when something does go wrong as quickly as you can. So you know if I can test that whole transaction, and when I'm talking about transaction, I'm talking about actioning a whole process. So, you know, logging onto the system, not just making sure the front door's up and someone answers it, but someone answers it and therefore then I can get into the back end. Now, if I understand those dependencies and those processes in there, then, yeah, you know, obviously I have my, my, um, my testing that goes on, but I have this proactive perspective of what's occurring there. So then if I start to see at any one, if I think of that service delivery chain as sort of breaking into components, I get to the front door, someone answers it, those are two separate functions, 
then I can actually get into that backend database. That's a third function there. If I have the ability then to sort of be able to see that breakdown of where it is, I can quickly understand what's occurring. All right, I have a problem database and I can actually then point specifically to that. When we looked at this one, sort of it was uh, sort of almost out for sort of uh, um, uh, three hours is what they said there. So and part of that would have been this, this situation. I'm, I'm based on that, they actually relocated it reasonably quickly. But then what happens is because we have to process all those jobs, so they can't go away, those bulk insertions have to happen at some point. Uh, so we need to sort of queue them. So, you know, it's the old caught into a pint pot, I need to then to be able to sort of come back. So there, what sometimes then happens is that even though I identify it quickly, the time to uh, remediation or mitigation or remediation is, is sort of extended as we, as, we, uh, as we clear the backlog, as it were. And if there's one group of people you don't want to upset, it's developers. I bet they all had potential solutions to that outage, right? Absolutely. Everyone does. And everyone will be different and everyone will say the previous one wasn't as good as theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've also seen a recent outage at Cloudflare, Mike. Can you tell us what happened there? So this occurred on sort of November the 2nd. Uh, what it transpired to be again was there was this, this service outage, basically. So people actually couldn't get to um, using a number of services on Cloudflare, but it also then started to roll into uh, Workday as well. And they both experienced these service outages is, um, around the same time. Um, there was an overlap in the timing there, and this is why I'm sort of tying them together. Because when we actually started to look into this, both of them initially attributed to um, the issues to data center power failures. So the immediate question was, were these two incidents related? Again, looking at sort of times across there, and we can actually see when we go into the post-mortems from both of them, is that, and sort of data that we're able to see from there, that everything we actually looked at in terms of where the uh, uh, problem was, uh, the nodes were exhibiting the outage or the, the disruption conditions were in the same location, so both, both in Oregon. And then what actually then came out was we actually saw through the post-mortems that, 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 that came through there that there was regional power issues that are impacting a sort of an area there where the data centers were sort of located or colo facilities were actually located. It was really impressive uh, post-mortem that Cloudflare put out. Do you think more companies should be that descriptive, that uh, honest about what happens when faults occur? Yeah, it's, it's, it'd be nice. I mean, Cloudflare do a great job. They do it all the time. They put out some beautiful um, uh, post-mortems, as it were, to, to go through the, the details there. I guess there's, there's sort of two elements to this, and it really comes down to what it is you need to reveal around from there. So what they were going and when they went through, they were very candid, they were able to say sort of the details. And, and traditionally, Cloudflare are very good at actually putting this out. But if I'm actually dealing with another system, there's something sort of going wrong in there that yeah, obviously for some, some legal concern or I'm going to expose some vulnerability, then maybe all I need to be able to say um, is this is what's going going on here. Uh, we you know uh, To, to the, the point is what we don't want to see is there's an outage occurring. We know, or disruptions occurring. I know it's. Um, uh, we we know it's occurring. We're working on it. Right? That doesn't help anybody. Um, so one of the analogies I use quite a lot <laughs> is that uh, sort of you know we have sort of power uh, issues that down here where I live from there. Um, and in the early days, the power utility company used to just come out and say there's a power outage in your area and they'd have this huge area sort of spread out from there. Now what they started to do now is to say there's a power outage, estimated restoration time. Now what that enables, uh, enables me to do is to not be so angry with them because I know something's happening, there's nothing I can do and I can take the steps to sort of work ar around there. So, so what you need to be able to do is as much as it's great for these organizations to come out and tell us what's happening, what 
you, the onus is basically is on, is from a responsibility perspective, is to understand what components are there, and then you can effectively, um, if you can ha visualize that service delivery chain, you can effectively then sort of tie those status pages together, sort of virtually. You know, I can go, all right, this leads to this, leads to this, and then you start to see the dependencies. So the more information we get from these guys, that's great, but really the responsibility lies with the uh, you as a user to try and understand specifically what dependencies and everything made up together. In, in Cloudflare's postboards, and they had this beautiful phrase. They said they experienced a thundering hurt problem where the API yeah. calls uh, that have been failing overwhelmed our services. Can you just give us a bit of an explanation about what that thundering herd means? Thundering herd is great, great, great phrasing, <laughs> isn't it? So it came through. I'm not sure that's a real word, but a great phrasing, I probably should say. So, so <laughs> it's uh, what they're implying there. And again, it's back to our, you know, caught into a pint pot type of scenario so so all of a sudden we things come back on and, and if you think about what an api is doing so an api uh, is basically making a call to a microservice which is then going to uh, instigate some sort of back-end program so, so if i'm thinking about a service that um uh, yeah let, let's say let's consider something we're making an inventory system so I, I might have an api call that actually goes and checks a stock i then got a second api call that goes and sort of takes the payment another one that gives the receipt so what happens when this everything came back online is i got all these people asking questions at once. And what happens in, in there and in Cloudflare's perspective is they have what's called an API gateway. And, you know, again, this is on coming back to my court into a pint pot. I've got all this stuff trying to get through at once. So this thundering herd of requests coming in because everything in effect would have been sort of bottled up and I needed to be able to do this. So again, this starts to overwhelm the, the, the servers when it comes online. Um, and this can then sort of have, have issues. So basically I'm filling buffers, I'm starting to queue things, and there's only a finite time I can hold them in the buffers so things get dropped. And then the request comes again. So it becomes this you know, self-fulfilling prophecy basically where I sort of increases, increases, and, and sort of rolls up through there. So what we have to do is you have to sort of you know, step it back, bring different systems back online so we can actually get them almost in a stage process. And there's almost nothing companies can do about that kind of thing, is there? Is that once the service has gone out for a bit, there's always going to be this rush of people trying to get back online the moment it comes back up. It, it's difficult to manage that kind of situation for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. It really is. You know, we, we talk about this concept. You can only plan for a certain amount of things. You know, how far do you go? Do you have a uh, you know a risk or a, a backup plan for a backup plan for a backup plan for a backup plan? It becomes you know, sort of irrelevant. And nobody's going to design their system for these you know, rare occurrences where we have this system. So what you need to do in those situations or what they do do in those situations, and this is what happened, is then they start to do this stage process where it comes back up. You know, so because it's a question of, Yes, you could design my architecture for the extreme, but that's not cost effective, you know, because that's either got cost got to be passed on, um, or or uh, it just you know I just won't make any money because it costs me too much money to run that service. So what you do is I say then you 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 understand it's happened and you have your plans in in place. And this is interesting as well, because also what occurs is if we're talking about it from a power situation, if you think about when a power goes out to to somewhere, um, and again, so I get this down here is that, if my power goes out and I had the air conditioning going at the same time, when the power comes back on, something inevitably trips out because I have this yep. this um, 
this situation where I've suddenly got this huge load on the system you know, because everything comes back on once. And this is the same uh, that happens within the, these data centers when you have a power outage. So what they have to then be able to do, and it gets really sophisticated, is to understand the power distribution, understand what racks need to be put on, where my dependencies are, and how I can bring those back online. So you get this stage process as well. So while in some instances, you know, when I turn my API gateway back on or gateways back on, I, I'm, I'm, you know, this gets that bottleneck coming into there, but the back-end services can be brought on stage. So I'm not going to have a situation where I'm going to go up and down, up and down, trying to get the, the power. Because the, the situation is when my power goes out and things shut down ungracefully, as we say, that can cause a whole set of other problems. You know, we sort of corrupt things as we go through and then bringing it back up takes a longer process. So if I understand that and I don't want to have this issue situation again, you know, because it can also happen when I cut over from a, a, a gen set. So I cut over from a, a, a power supply, uh, sorry, a backup power supply back to my main one. All of a sudden, I'm bringing so much stuff on load. Oof, I can have this situation again. So as you mentioned earlier, Workday was also affected by this power outage at the uh, Oregon facility. Uh, tell us what you saw with that particular outage and, and the data you saw from the Thousand Eyes platform. So yeah, Barry, what, what I want to do is I want to show you what we saw, how we saw that data, how it manifests itself within Thousand Eyes. So again, so for those of you sort of uh, listening on the audio-only version, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go into the Thousand Eyes platform and here uh, sort of talk you through and I'll, I'll try and do as best I can to actually sort of tell you what I'm actually seeing on the screen here rather than just sort of pointing and clicking. And so for those of you who are not familiar with Thousand Eyes, what it is, it's a SaaS platform that has multiple vantage points around the globe and therefore, by actually taking these synthetic tests, we're able to sort of put that data together to understand situations like this, where we can actually see what's happening and uh, where the performance degradation or the outage is actually occurring from there. So what I'm looking at here is I'm actually looking at a test where I'm actually uh, I'm looking want to see the page load test. So this is actually going to a um, a workday page, and the reason I want to do the page page load is because what I actually want to see is. Um, actually logging onto the system. So there's a couple of things I've done here. So first of all, I've actually isolated this down to the, the Portland or the Oregon um, agent there. So I'm actually looking from, from, from that environment there. Uh, and then what we can see here is I'm looking at HTTP. So what I want to see there is I actually want to see what it occurs at that, if you call it over that layer four. And I can see straight away where my outage occurred. So I can actually start to see the, um, the, the the degradation there, so that's unavailable at that moment in time. But what really gets kind of cool then is we actually start to look and see what happened that from a page load perspective. And when we're looking at a page load, what we're talking about here is we're talking about um, the uh, sort of the time it was to actually load the page. So that, that detail you see on your screen to, to render. So if I look at the HTTP perspective, I actually sort of see that unavailable at that moment in time. But then what kind of confounds me, I actually see that when I go to the page load, uh, uh, perspective, it looks like to me the page is actually loading. I don't see uh, too much uh, occurring there. So I can see in this this swim lane underneath. So if I'm looking at the top timeline, what I'm actually looking at there, I'm actually looking at the uh, the, pa the average page load time in the top, the light blue. So that the, the major figure there that shows me that it's sort of averaging around. Um, 975 milliseconds around it, which is pretty good. I see some odd peaks there. But again, looking specifically at the Oregon one, I'm looking at this 639. So straight away, it tells me a couple of things. It tells me that, that um, from looking from that particular agent, that my page load time is less. Uh, so I can sort of see what happens there. But 
Again, remember I've said I've got unavailability, but what I'm actually doing is I'm seeing the page. So to actually then see what's occurring, if I'm actually looking at this from within the system itself, so what I've done now, I've gone in to look at what we call a waterfall diagram. Uh, so from here, what I can actually start to see is I can actually see sort of how that page actually built. And interestingly enough, when I start to see, so I see my login occurring here, uh, and what I actually then see, so the top of the, the page there, I see the login occurring, and then I'm actually doing what's called a redirect. So an HTTP 302, I see a redirect from there. I see all those times, but then it looks like it's loading a page. But if I actually come down, what I actually see there is I'm seeing static information. So my domain has changed. I'm actually going to the static community there um, uh, at Workday, and if I actually come down to the bottom there, what I actually see right down the bottom somewhere, is this little tools icon here. Now if I was actually click on that and show me that was, that shows me the spanner. So that's the splash screen that was actually coming up during that time. So straight away, if I'm actually looking at that, that tells me, okay, this is why I was unavailable because the system itself was unavailable, but I redirected to another location, which was basically giving me a test card. So um, look and see what, so what was on there. So static content. Now, just to contrast that, if I actually go back before the outage occurred, what I actually see here is this is completely different. So this is going for login process. So interestingly here, I actually see a 307. Now the difference between a 302 and a 307 is a 302 is still, uh, both of those are redirects. So anything in the 300 is some sort of redirect. But a 307 is a temporary redirect. So I'm actually directing it to an available backend system that's there. So this is a nice way of actually doing it to understand, you know, so I can actually have flexibility in the back, so I'm not having any single points in there. So straight away, I'm actually looking somewhere different. So I can see sort of the two re redirects there, but then I start to load the page. I can see coming through there. But interestingly, what you look at here, the provider I'm seeing there is actually Cloudflare. So this is where I'm actually going into Cloudflare environment. In this case, the system was, 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 was loading. Again, I'll just jump back in to show you that sort of contrast. So straight away here, I'm going to static. And, and now I'm actually looking at it, uh, I'm looking specifically here, it's going to Amazon as the provider there. So these are my sort of two clues to, to tell me what's going on. The, the other thing interesting that is that um, because they actually sort of did this during the, the outage situation, so when I was actually there, or the disruption situation, normally, remember we talked about when we were looking at it prior, we talked about the 500 errors. So again, I told you that was indication that was some sort of back-end system problem because I'd actually, or issue because I was actually getting a response from the server. So 500 server-side uh, status codes would come back and tell me some sort of message, i.e. the service is unavailable, it's a bad gateway, or, or whatever it is from down here. Now, a good response is a 200 OK. And this is what I see here, even though the system is down. So the only way I'm actually going to look at that is to actually look in, in context to be able to say, OK, where is it actually going to, and what is the contents in there? And that's where that waterfall becomes really um, useful to me to be able to understand and see what's occurring. So what those graphs are basically showing you is that the one incident affected both companies and that we see in Workday uh, being affected by Cloudflare's outage on almost a secondary basis because they're using their services uh, and then having to fall back on Amazon, right? Yeah, absolutely. You got kind of hit. Unfortunately, got hit for a two to one. Now, you know, you can sort of build in his redundancy, but the way things are architected around it, and they, they do have redundant features. So everybody builds in his redundancy in the environment. So a lot of effort goes into architecting these. But in some ways, when you're trying to build it and you have these systems, you 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 inevitably, from an application perspective, have essentially these points where they become um, these single aggregation points. Uh, and unfortunately, these guys had this situation where they, they appeared to sort of coincide. So you say you got hit for a two for one. 
And we always regard the internet as this sort of great, infallible mass of redundant systems. But here we've got a case where one outage at one location in Oregon has caused you know disruption to two big companies here, possibly more. Sometimes the internet's not quite as infallible as we think, is it, Mike? Yeah, there's a good point. I mean, the, the internet is this, this sort of this multifaceted beast that's put together. The one thing I will say is if we're talking here specifically, and it's interesting because we roll both things together. But what we're also talking about here is, um, you know, an application issue. And like I said, you know, when I'm actually starting to host that, I, I because of even for doing high availability architecture, there's instances where I'm going to have single dependencies or dependencies that I'm not aware of that need to, um, that, that become these single aggregation points around there. If I'm thinking of that from the network connectivity, you know, it's pretty resilient. Um, it appears to be, you know, what it was originally designed for and how it's put together. And if you think about the many autonomous systems that all make up this internet connectivity and these peering relationship as we pass stuff around there, there's sort of thousands or hundreds of thousands of, of dynamic paths that I can sort of take. Obviously, if I start to come back to my, my local point, this way I have this aggregation. So I'll have a local last mile issue. You know, um, we, we've seen in the past where there's these situations where um, fibers have been cut, which are sort of taken down a particular local area. Um, and sort of that impacts one particular region. And then, but if I'm actually thinking of myself going to my transit providers, I'm going into my, my network backbone as itself there, then potentially because of the way the peering works, I can sort of route around it um, dynamically. And this is what it's designed to do. Where that sort of comes back, as I said, is where we're going to have these single aggregation points or these points of single uh, dependencies or, or that, that you know, is critical to do. And, and how they manifest themselves is, is kind of interesting as well. You know, we have an outage, it's down, I can't get connectivity, there's a network issue, I can see that quite clearly. You know, like I said, it might dynamically route around there. What happens when I have these situations as we had here is what it is, is that everything appears to be working. I can get to the front door, in some instances, I can load a screen. Some are uh, a very good, like Workday, which will tell me there's an error going on. There's a problem here. We're working on it, or whatever the maintenance screen actually said when it when it came up there. It also, when these occur at these single dependency points, it also seems to have a larger impact zone, uh, a larger footprint, as it were, because lots of people are sort of relying on it. So it's time to look at the numbers, Mike. And uh, what have you seen in the outages dates over the past fortnight? Yeah, absolutely. I actually love this part, uh, the numbers, because it essentially is these patterns. I'm big on patterns as we go through there. So, so what we've actually seen sort of between um, October 23rd, November the 5th, we actually saw the number of uh, outages, total global outages sort of fluctuate quite significantly. So during that first week, so October 23rd to 29th, the number of outages sort of increased uh, from 163 to 221. So, you know, we're looking at somewhere in a region of a 36% rise, which compared when we compare that to the previous week. Um, however, the following week, we actually saw a 25% decrease in outages, which sort of dropped from 221 to 165. Uh, and, you know, and, and this is we, we sort of this is is, is, a, is a pattern we started to see as we come out of the northern hemisphere summer. We start to see sort of the outages sort of increase as we go up towards the end of the year there. And if we looked at that from then the, the US perspective, we sort of saw similar patterns, you know, where they rose initially from 75 to 103 during that October 23rd to, uh, to 29th. Again, very similar because it was a 37% increase. Um, but again, the following week, they actually decreased uh, sort of 103 to 84, which is an 18% drop from the previous week. Outages tend to increase at this time of year once the Northern Hemisphere comes out of summer. Why is that, Mike? 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. It's a pattern we've seen sort of year over year. We we see these, you know, it, it sort of decreases at the bit, or we see a lower level at the start of the year, sort of January as we're coming out of the holiday period. Uh, it rises up to the summer, then it sort of drops down again, and then again as we come out of the summer, as we're seeing now, we see this this these number of outages actually rise. Now, when we're thinking about an outage, we're thinking about it as this hundred percent packet loss. So we'll see that talked about loss being a leading indicator. That's what we're actually doing to sort of see this. Um, uh, to see the outages there. Now, if I then isolate those further, and we can look at those from a regional perspective. What I actually see when I go in to look at those, I can actually isolate them down to time of day. And when we look at the outages that are occurring in these, let's, let's call them these peak periods, these, these off-season periods, so these off-holiday periods, what we actually be able to do is we're able to, in some cases, we can actually tie these down directly to maintenance events. So maintenance schedule maintenance that comes out from a... Um, uh, from a provider where actually sort of document it and they'll say it's going to hear that and they'll normally do that if they think the change they're going to make is going to have an, a noticeable impact and potentially be um, a, a customer impact or user impacting from there so they'll announce it and we can sort of tie those two together there but what we then can see is we can take from that and we can use that pattern to identify these other ones so what we're saying there is they do occur outside of a business hours from a regional perspective. So if I'm looking at something that's occurring within the, uh, the Southern Hemisphere down here, you know, it will occur outside the nine to five bit. And they typically occur sort of one or two in the morning at local time, relevant to where, the, where they are there. And what that then tells us, and they occur on the hour, right? So you see a change window is put in and we can sort of see those. So what we do in those cases, we can say, all right, the likelihood of that is it's very likely to actually be a maintenance event. So although it's an outage, you know, it's gets recorded as an outage, um, this is what it is, and it may have been user impacting, but they've actually taken steps to sort of uh, reduce any level of impact to the customer by doing it out of hours uh, from there. And then the resilience we have in the internet as well. But the next part to that then is, is why are we starting to see these numbers increase? So we're saying, if I think about these holiday periods, um, it's we almost we're now relying on the internet as the backbone for not just our, our, our social life, not just to stream to soccer or to um, or, or or to uh, you know, sort of stream movies down there, but businesses are relying on the internet. So it is all our applications and SaaS across from there. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to do during these periods of time. You don't want to have to be out sort of fixing it because things are relying on it. So you know sort of e-commerce, all this stuff is relying on this internet and, and there. So I almost get to this situation where I do want to do a do no harm during this period of time. So therefore, I want to do all my work off season, as it were. So this is then why we start to see these patterns and then why we see the drop off again. So over the summer period, although people may be on vacation or starting to do that, again, I don't want to uh, be able to sort of doing this where I'm going to cause mass disruption during this period of time. Uh, so I have to, uh, I want to go into this 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 period where, um, like I say, I'm doing this, do no harm. You, you sort of see similar things occurring as we sort of get into um, uh, sort of you know, key days. So uh, you know, just down here in Australia recently, we've had the Melbourne Cup. There's a software freeze that goes on. Uh, down here, so the Melbourne Cup is a horse race that goes on there. You see a software freeze for a lot of the, um, the, the some organisations there because this is their biggest day of the year. They don't want to have to sort of do changes. And it's the same for my, um, uh, my provider. Now, I'm still going to have these glitches that take place. I'm still going to have network outages that occur during this period. But typically, when we actually look at those, they're of a shorter duration. Um, and they tend to be, you can see, sort of automated restoration. Obviously, you still get the major ones, and this is there where you need that visibility, but you're going to get these little automated ones that, that occur. You can sort of see these blips occurring during the time. So really, yeah, it's a very long story to say this is why I believe that the outages sort of start to increase outside these holiday periods. 
I love the fact you blamed a horse race for increasing the outages. I think that's that's a highlight of my week. <laughs> Absolutely, your lower conscious stops stops for a horse race. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Mike, and that's our show for this week. Please like and subscribe because we really appreciate it. And not only does it ensure that you get a notification for each new show, but it also helps us shape the content of the show. You can follow us on X at at Thousand Eyes or send us your questions or feedback to internetreport at thousandeyes.com. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>